0: Welcome to the new episode of Entertainment Weekly, your guide to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and awesome. And I'm Darren Franich, calling in as always from his exposition-heavy screensaver solarium, Entertainment Weekly's Jeff Jensen. Hi Darren, how are you? Doing great, Jeff. Uh, we have a lot to talk about this week. I want to dive right into it. First and foremost, in this week's uh, issue of Entertainment Weekly, we do a little fall video game preview. Uh, we talk about some really exciting releases, uh, many of them sequels. It's definitely another season filled with uh, you know the latest expansions of franchises we've all come to know and love and maybe get a little bit bored with. But I want to lead with the game that I'm, I think, most excited about, a game that really just sort of captivated me when I saw it at E3 this year, Uh, I I know that we're both a fan of the Assassin's Creed franchise, and Assassin's Creed 3, I think, just looks like it could be the sort of epic finale, almost to this whole era of video, of almost uh, to this whole video game generation. I mean, it's set in this really evocative, uh, revolutionary era, colonial America, and uh, the you know the, the footage that we saw and, and some of the levels that we got to play, just, you know, they recreate actual Revolutionary War battles. Uh, you know, I was a huge fan of Assassin's Creed 2. I was sort of less a fan of, of the last couple of, of expansions. They were definitely interesting. But didn't seem to add too much. But everything I see of this new game, it just looks like they're sort of taking, you know, what was formerly a really fun sort of almost riff on Grand Theft Auto, you know, set in these Renaissance era cities. And now they're just throwing it out into the wilderness. So this is definitely the game that I'm most excited about. Are you gonna are you gonna plug this in when it when it comes out in November, Jeff?
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm definitely gonna check this out. I I, I don't play video games as much. As I used to, or maybe even like to anymore, but um, but but just everything that I'm seeing from this one, th- this is going to be on the short list of the very few video games that I spend some time with this fall. Uh, there was like this really like, cool cinema-style commercial slash trailer that, that that was on uh, on television this past weekend, running in football games, and my son, uh, who is 11, was like watching it, and it was like wow like dad this is the coolest thing ever is this a movie no it's a video game oh it's that assassin's Creed. oh it's rated m you won't let me play it that was the trajectory (laughs) so uh, uh i don't know maybe i'll maybe i'll be a good guy and, uh, but uh, but anyway, no, I won't be a good guy. I'll play it just for myself.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, I think you need to wait until he's old enough to learn about Revolutionary War history. Then, then you can justify letting him play it, you know? Right, it's,
1: cause that's it's, the only reason why anyone plays this game, for
0: the history. Oh, but, I, 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 I mean, Jeff, I learned so much about Leonardo da Vinci from Assassin's Creed 2. <laughs> I, I, I learned a lot about the history of Constantinople from the last Assassin's Creed. And I'm, I'm really excited for the, for the cameos by George Washington in Assassin's no, Creed 3. Absolutely. But uh, you know there are uh, there are several other sequels coming out this fall. We've got Halo Four, we've got Resident Evil Six, uh, Call of Duty Black Ops Two, which I think is technically Call of Duty Thirteen or Fourteen at this point. <laughs> but uh, I think it's fair to say that the biggest sort of narrative going into this fall is uh, we finally have the, the the official release date for the Wii U. It's coming out in November, right before Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, f- I'm, I'm sure all of our listeners are. are aware of the Wii U, this is Nintendo's brand new console it uses this really interesting maybe fun maybe annoying tablet controller, Uh, the jury is still very much out, Uh, me and our colleague colleague Adam Vary, we got hands on time with the Wii U at E3 some games were interesting some games you couldn't quite get the hang of I'm really intrigued to see what the average consumer thinks about the Wii U, Jeff, just because I think that you know whether you love Nintendo or hate Nintendo, you can't deny that they're definitely trying to do something different with this console. I know a lot of people thought that this was either going to be you know, just a, a new version of the Wii with its motion gaming, or conversely, people thought it was going to be maybe a turn towards hardcore gaming, and it, it's, it's really neither. Um, I, I will say that uh, with with one major exception, none of the games that I played at E3 really got me excited for... The console, but at the same time, you know, I, I think the history has shown that launch titles aren't necessarily, you know, the most impressive games on a on a on a console. All that being said, Jeff, as someone who's maybe had a little bit less hands-on time with it, what do you think about this new console? Are you intrigued by it? Are you excited to let your kids veg out with it? What are your What are your thoughts?
1: Veg out with it. Um, uh, I'm definitely intrigued and i i i got some hands on time um with it um at last year's e three um not this past uh, uh summer's e three but the year before when they first kind of showed it off and I was definitely really intrigued by it um, you know yeah, the games weren't all of that com- all that compelling and it it definitely kind of uh speaks to sort of like you know a tablet screen chic right now. Everyone just loves these, you know, our, our handheld screen-based devices, and um, and 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 there's a lot of promise to this. I, I still kind of wonder if we're now in this intermediate stage where, um, in in video game technology, where we're 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 sort of fumbling around and waiting for the next great. You know, operating system or app or 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 whatever, whatever's going to take video games into into the future, really. And this seems to be a a step along the way, but I don't know if it's here to stay. Um, but I I I, I mean, um, I'm into it, and this I, my my kids are definitely really intrigued. They're already bugging me, like you know, with this and Halo Four. That's the big Christmas gifts for the for for for. Uh, for the kids this year it seems that's what they want um but i, I don't know i i'm intrigued i want to play with it i, I want to have it i'm not sold on it as some kind of like console of the future thing though
0: uh-huh wait wait hold hold the phone there jeff are the jensen children really into halo is that what i heard are they are they are, are they oh, like I, halo well,
1: I mean, my my son is <laughs> and then I, uh, among the m rated games that like i i, I let ben play mm-hmm. um Halo is is the only one and um and he has just been eagerly anticipating um um this game and and that's a question I had for you as someone who's now kind of like so, so much more steeped in video games than I am and 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 and, and and at the point, plain point of our coverage, which is, what do you think is the big video game story of the fall? Is it Assassin's Creed, uh, the newest Assassin's Creed game? Is it is it the new Wii, or is it or or is it Halo Four?
0: Well, uh, I, I I think it's hard to deny that uh, j- just by virtue of kickstarting what may be the next generation of consoles, uh, I, I I think it's hard to say that as a gamer, I'm I'm not most interested in seeing how the Wii U does. I I think that uh, from a more just qualitative perspective, the game that I'm most excited about is, without a doubt, Assassin's Creed. But I I think it's because... And and the only reason why I I would put Assassin's Creed above Halo 4 or or Call of Duty Black Ops 2, both of which, you know, I, I think are the latest iterations of franchises that have impressed in the past, it feels to me as if we're reaching this interesting uh, end point of this generation. And, you know, I think think, think that you described it very well. There's this feeling both among gamers and in the games industry of kind of flux. You know, we don't know when exactly Microsoft and Sony will bring out their next system. We don't really know what those systems will look like. Um, But uh, I remember one of the... um, uh, at E3, I got to talk to some of the uh, main uh, developers behind Halo Four, and one of them one of them mentioned that we're in this really interesting period where, because it's the end of this generation, the games that are coming out are pushing the specifics and the 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 technology to sort of like as far as they can go. I mean, you know, I I, I always think about how you know at the very end of the Nintendo sixty four era, you had Conker's Bad Fur Day, which was essentially just like the furthest experience Expansion of the Mario 64 model as far as it could go. And to me, Assassin's Creed 3 feels a lot like that. You know, it's this big canvas adventure. It's very much... Uh, I think, intended to be a single player experience, whereas it seems like in the future we're moving more and more to this to, to this sense that everything needs to be multiplayer or needs to at least have some sort of multiplayer I- experience involved. So I, I think that I'm looking forward to Assassin's Creed 3 just because I think it's really going to us, to start us on this sort of this maybe final golden age for the PlayStation 3 and, and the Xbox 360. Some of the <laughs> games coming out next Year may even supersede it. I, I know that everyone's really excited about The Last of Us and a lot of other games that were shown, but All I right. think that I think I, I think that's the one that uh, will, will 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 be the most epic. I, I, I do want to mention though uh, one game that uh, I, I didn't get any hands on time with at E three, but that I've heard a lot of good things about is a non sequel called Dishonored, which is sort of an interesting steampunk. Um, I believe it's a it's a third person action game. It's it's third person or first person. It's supposed to be very interesting. And listen, as someone who has always hated steampunk, I'm intrigued to see if they can make steampunk work. So, yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah but, uh, I, I have two video game questions for you, or at least gaming-related questions for you. Hit me. Uh, where do you stand on Minecraft?
0: Uh Jeff, this is awful to admit as uh, one of our lead video game people here, but I've never played Minecraft before.
1: I mean, and, and, and maybe it isn't... Completely in our our demo, but um, my kids love it. They're mm-hmm. addicted. And I mean, it, it is definitely kind of like this, you know, uh, computer game, or if you play it on your iPhone or a phone, like um, sensation. But, and it definitely speaks to the probably the, the most popular play pattern among today's kids over the past 10 or so more years. But Legos, I mean, definitely speaks to the Lego generation. But, my kids are uh, obsessed with Minecraft, and, and all of their friends play it. Um, it's, it's, it's colonizing and ruling their brains. Darren, I'm a little concerned, actually. <laughs>
0: um, my, also, Minecraft is taking over our children's brains.
1: But I can't begrudge any video game that inspires them to kind of, like, basically create. Like, I'm going to go and build my own brick-based city block-based realm and I want people to come and play on it. And yeah, there's like survival modes and you can battle zombies and such, but um, it seems like the the mode that, most most people that I know play uh, is just this just just the creative aspect, the create mode, and so. Um, but it definitely seems. Uh... Uh,
0: yeah, 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 you know, uh, I've always been intrigued by Minecraft. It's always one of those things. that's sort of like you know, it's always hovering on uh, in like the number five slot of the Netflix queue that is my life, and it keeps on getting pushed <laughs> down lower and lower by new things. The thing that intrigues me about it is also what kind of scares me about it, which is that you know what you're saying about how your kids especially seem to be really thrilling to it, you know... I'm someone who grew up in what feels to be almost like a very different era of video games. I mean, you know, when I was really sort of like getting invested in the games in my teenage years, that was when games were going for this ever more expansive maximalism, you know, and you had the rise of open world games and you had, you know, the the Nintendo 64 just creating these worlds that seemed to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And there was a time when I think we all thought that that's where everything was going. And, you know, eventually World of Warcraft would just consume everyone. It feels to me like Minecraft is very much at the forefront of. A different style of game, and it's 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 not quite the same as casual gaming, but it certainly is a little bit more. I mean, it's as much as I I'm intrigued by the fact that people enjoy it for what you're describing, for that kind of you know building philosophy. It feels to me not too removed from something like Farmville, which is something that I think is barely even really a video game to to, to a certain extent. So I've 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 always been skeptical about it, only because I have the feeling of being a sort of a, a sort of older person being left behind in a way, if, if that makes any <laughs> sense. So, um, yeah, I know your kids scare me, Jeff, is what I'm trying to say.
1: Right, well, like, I, 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 said, I, I sort of agree with your sort of indifference or ambivalence or whatever kind of word we want to ascribe to your position um, in the sense of, like, I don't quite get it either. I think I do in the broad strokes. But like visually, it isn't as impressive, and it seems to be kind of reminiscent of a lot of other things, which aren't necessarily super exciting or capture the imagination uh, f- for me. But 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 it's which is why I guess it's not for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but it's certainly ar- arresting my kids' imagination and. Um,
0: and well, well, and, well, and you know, I,
1: I, I, by us I, I, think.
0: Yeah. Well, and also, yeah, like I also want to say that as skeptical as I am about it, listen, like I think that I, I'd much rather the youth of America be playing that than be playing resident evil six, you know? I mean, like I, I, I think that as excited as I am about some games this fall, there is a, I also have a sense that the mainstream video game market has reached a point of sort of sequel heavy decadence. And so M- minecraft is certainly not that. And I, I'm, I, I'm in support of anything that isn't necessarily just endless iterations of the same thing. Yeah. Um, Darren,
1: one last question for you about video games, or at least just games. Yes. Uh, c- can anything this fall really be more exciting than my Temple Run iPhone app?
0: Then, then you're what, sorry?
1: Oh, do you, do, you, do you not play Temple Run on your phone?
0: Uh, I, I, I don't. Jeff, tell me all about this. This sounds like something that's about to consume my life.
1: I mean, I, I, like, I, like, like. As much as I say that, I don't really play video games anymore. Um, I, I've never really been one of those guys that's like, you know, hooked on um, any sort of um, iPhone or Android game kind of app thing. But uh, until my kids introduced me to Temple Run, and Temple Run is just this like game where you uh, the premise, I think, if there really is one is that you've just stolen something. You're like an Indiana Jones adventurer and you've just stolen something from some temple and now you've got to run away and you're being traced, chased by these monstrous mutant monkey uh, uh, things and you're just like running down these like Alleyways and parapets and like corridors and, and 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 the sort of outer gateways of this of this giant castle and you're jumping and you're collecting coins and you, you the, the 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 further you run the, the the faster you get and the harder it is to control and you can't stop and uh and 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 that's all it is it's just constant running it's a little bit like my version of hell actually <laughs> on on stop running there's no end you just keep running and. Running and running away from demons chasing you, collecting coins for, for, for no real purpose, other uh-huh. than to um, uh, you know buy a new character or uh, or, or or get. Um, a, a new power-up that can allow you to uh, keep running.
0: <laughs> oh, that's, that, that, that's great. Well, I, I, I'm addicted. Well, yeah, you know, it, it sounds like something that I would love. It actually sounds a lot like uh, a game for my iPhone that I got very addicted to a couple of years ago. Uh, I, I, I believe it was called Hookshot or Quick Hook. It was made by uh, this this tiny games publisher called Rocket Cat Games. And it's very, very similar, except instead of running through a cave, you're swinging. I mean, you know... Jeff, what's more exciting in a video game than the sort of Legend of Zelda hookshot? I mean, definitely the <laughs> definitely the coolest weapon/slash accessory you can possibly have. This game was built entirely around that. You're just like swing through a cave and there's a ghost behind you or something like that. Very similar, can't drop. If you drop, you die. I mean, it was it was very fun, but it, it, it sounds like that. You know, I, I I sort of feel like as someone who, you know, a, as I said, was once upon a time constantly invested in in huge Epic Canvas games, I almost think that there's this interesting sort of uh, gamer's conundrum for someone like me now, where on one hand, you know, a game like, a game like... Uh, um, a game le- like what you're describing is so much at the forefront of this casual games movement where, you know, it's it's all about games that are, are very, very straightforward, games that you can play anytime. I could see myself playing that game in the subway, on the elevator, in a meeting when I'm supposed to be paying attention. But, uh, and you know, I, I, I on one hand, I think like the industry is falling so in love with that that the kind of games that I tend to like are maybe being pushed aside. At the same time, those games are really fun. I mean, you know, like there's there's a very, a very elegant elemental side to them that, you know, you can just play them for hours and hours and, you know, you sort of finesse your, your way through them. And I, I, I have to kind of respect that, you know? I mean, there's, there's a reason why people are still playing Tetris 25 years after it was invented in, in the former Soviet Union. So, uh, yeah, I'll have, to, I'll, I'll, I'll have to give that a try. Uh, that's so, cool, so that's... it
1: is. These are not social games. These are not... Uh, games that you play on the subway or or in a meeting—they're they're on the toilet games, Darren. <laughs> Come on, why, why why aren't we talking about this? I, like,
0: <laughs> why why is not America focusing on the on the toilet game industry right now, uh, Jeff? Th- th- that
1: should—that's th- what this. Genre really is. That's
0: that's the it, economic it, it, injection that, that we've been looking for.
1: It's passing the time <laughs> while you're in the midst of a difficult bowel movement. Jeff, it's really Jeff, what, 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 what these games are for.
0: Jeff, your children are growing up in an exciting time when they will never have to be bored. How do you feel about that? <laughs>
1: growing up in an interesting
0: house, I guess. <laughs> uh, we're going to move on from, from video games now, although I'm sure we'll be talking more about uh, some of these games, certainly about the Wii U uh, once they get released. Jeff, uh, I want to move on now to uh, our, our personal passion, uh, Big Brother, which just, it just ended its 14th season uh, this this past Wednesday. Uh, we're, we're still recovering. We're, we're recording this mere hours after the winner was announced last night. Um I I want to set the stage a little bit for our listeners who've only been experiencing this show, perhaps the most important show on television, via our podcast. Uh, Jeff, uh, going into this season finale, there were three players left in the game. Uh, One of them, Dan, had essentially taken over the house. Uh, He had spent the previous month lying to everyone. He'd stabbed basically everyone in the back. He was was already being called one of the great villains, if not flat out one of the great players in reality TV history going into the finale. He was joined in the final three by Danielle, who had been his closest ally the entire summer. But by ally, I think it's more were fair to say that she was really just kind of constantly the victim of his schemes. You know, she was this lovely southern belle. Everyone seemed to really like her. She seemed very sweet. She sort of went along with whatever Dan told her to do. And he would consistently undercut her trust and sort of use her uh, not quite as a as, as a scapegoat, but, you know, he would sort of constantly do things without telling her. At one point, he convinced her to accidentally kick out the man she loved out of the house. It was very dramatic. And the last person was Ian, who in some respects was maybe the most interesting uh, player this season, only because when he came in, I think a lot of us had really dismissed him. This is a guy who, he's very young, he grew up watching Big Brother, I think he said he was 10 when when Big Brother started, which is <laughs> sort of crazy just to think of. He he, he was, you know, he, he sort of came in and, and was a real fan, and he seemed very fawning, and then all of a sudden, starting at the middle of the season, he really revealed himself as a Great player. He started up an alliance. He managed to uh, he managed to backstab one of the best players in Big Brother history, and uh, in the end, it came down to Ian versus Dan, and I, I, you know, I wrote a very long recap about this as I was trying to figure out which one of them I really thought deserved to win, and I'm still sort of unsure. In the end, on the show, the jury members, all of whom had been stabbed in the back by Dan, decided to give the final victory to Ian, and I'm still kind of struggling with that. I mean, uh, what, what do you think, Jeff? On one hand, I think it's clear that Dan played such a great game. On the other hand, if he played a great game, why is it that nobody in the jury wound up voting for him?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, I really liked your summary. um and your uh, the the Dan Daniel relationship um, especially in the latter half of the season was was sort of fascinating. And as much as uh, I, I found their alliance admirable, there was a certain point where you kind of wondered, when Danielle was going to take her game into her own hands, and 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 play Dan, play along with Dan, but ultimately make a move on on her own, and just the way that Dan would would play the house and uh, execute all of these grand schemes in which um, Danielle was used as an unwitting pawn in them, only only to be told later on, no, 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 I'm not. Setting you up, or I'm not getting rid of you. I'm, 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 I'm actually helping you, and I'm pushing you further down the road. But I needed to trick you in order, order to do this. It reminds me of. Do you watch The Mentalist?
0: Um, I, I, I did back in the day with um, uh, the the very handsome blonde man. Yes.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> well. Patrick Jane on that show, the, the the lead character played by Simon Baker, is always playing these mind games and setting up all of these um, essentially scams to like ferret out and smoke out like the the the, the criminal they're searching for. And he's never telling his, his the special agent in charge, the real cop in the show, um, Agent Lisbon, like like what he's doing. And, and Lisbon' always sort of ends up becoming a, a pawn in all of this. And by now she's sort of like wise enough to kind of like realize when, when 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 Patrick is pulling a scam and she's always like, What are you doing here? Like, are you using me again? And th- that's kind of like what the relationship was like, um, in in, in, in in the house, in the Big Brother house, between Dan and Danielle, where Dan was the mentalist and always sort of like Poor, poor Danielle. Um, yeah, I, I
0: mean, like, you know, I, I want to try to, like, you know, just make this really vivid for, for our listeners who didn't watch the show. Consistently in the last month, a scene would play out where Dan would do something very publicly that would embarrass, humiliate, and generally just kind of ruin Danielle's mentality. She would then start crying. She would just feel like the world was ending. Dan would then, like, like, take her by himself into the sort of, like, you know, uh, windowless room where they often do a lot of their plotting on the show, and he would say, hey, Danielle, I was just joking. I was doing it for our game. Sorry about that. toodaloo (laughs) And every, Every oh, and, and just... Darren, 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 have
1: I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the podcast. Like, have have ha, like have you have we ever talked about and deconstructed the the brilliant, the greatest um a move ever made in reality show history, Dan's funeral. I oh. mean, was what that was absolutely brilliant, and what he did Danielle in that um was genius. And I'll, I'll set it up, which is that like. Like in, in, in this move, like Dan was Dan was goners. You know, Dan had been um, had been set up um, and was looking at uh, the, the likely, the, the very strong likelihood that he was going to get voted out, and um, everything was going against him. And you're going to have to help me out and figure and and, and flesh out the missing pieces of this because my memory is already <laughs> fading on Big Brother. But what happens is. Dan gets put in this uh, this room for 24 hours as part of this sort of punishment or deal that he took. Um, so he now he's like sequestered all by himself in a room filled with loud like you know house music, um, and he's stuck there for 24 hours. And he uses this time all by himself to hatch a scheme to somehow save his ass which is is, is about to get smoked. I mean, he is goners. And so there seems to be no possible way out. And he comes out of this room and he announces to the house that he he wants to meet with everyone. And he stages what he calls his own funeral in which he acknowledges that he, he knows he's about to get voted out. And he systematically goes through every single person and says everything that you would want a good guy to say in his position, good Dan. He apologizes to certain players that he really burned. He reached out to his bitter rival, Frank, and makes some kinds of amends and, and says that that he'd been spending that hour that day reading the Bible and he wanted to like speak with him privately about something that he had read in the Bible that about about forgiveness and atonement and speaking with him privately and and he says all these things, and he seems so sincere and so earnest. And finally, he gets to Danielle, his closest ally in the house, and all of a sudden says, I love you all except for you, Danielle. You betrayed me. You burned me. You know what you did, and you're dead to me. So fine, vote me out. It's the death of Dan the Player. Um, I, I understand. I get it. And, and, and Daniel, the look on Danielle's face, Darren – was just priceless. She'd been so sucker punched. And she was waiting for her own moment in the Dan sun to receive all these kind words for him. And then out of the blue, he makes this allegation of some vague sin that she committed against him. And she's like, emotionally devastated
0: yeah I will I will never forget like you know as they were sort of like you know going to commercial then you, you just saw her just tears falling down her face her jaw was wide open and she was saying what did I do what did I do I mean it was it was <laughs> horrifying and it, it was great because you know it, it was a genuine rhetorical flourish you know I mean like it, it was it was it's something that I feel like you don't you don't often see in reality TV shows which frankly very often tend to cast people not so n- not so good at the whole talking thing and I mean it, it really just you know you were so set up for this I mean Jeff people were crying as Dan was talking before Not I mean you, you know you know, he would say like you know oh Shane you know you're proof that Captain America exists Brittany you know we have such a bond but Scarecrow I'll miss you the most of all I mean it was it was <laughs> such an emotional moment and then it just turned on a dime and, and what,
1: was, what was genius about this is this whole ruse This whole thing, it was all in service to manipulate three outcomes that needed to happen that he had absolutely no control over. But it was this is what I loved about this plan is that I need to do this. If I do this Hopefully it will spur these three actions by these three different people, that, and, and, and hopefully it will work. One is, and they were all really risky maneuvers. One was it would set up a situation whereby his arch enemy Frank, the guy that he wanted to apologize to by quoting scripture, um, would actually then form an alliance with him. And that private moment that he kind of, like, facilitated where I want to take you privately to read the Bible and and ask for your forgiveness was actually an attempt to secure a private moment between them in which he swore on the Bible his allegiance to Frank.
0: He also also swore on his wife's – on on, on his wedding ring, too. Don't forget.
1: And and Frank went for it because – While Frank was in control of the House that week, he was also enemy number one in the whole House, and everyone wanted him out, and he was desperate for allies. So he could not resist the opportunity to form an alliance with his archenemy. Who would see that coming? It was brilliant. Frank went for it. Step two was that whoever won the power of veto... Would have to take Dan off the block, right? Mm-hmm. And and was that and and, and I think and, and and so he had to convince Jen to do that. Yes, yes,
0: Jen, who who had before then been very much a, a a player who was not very involved in in Big Brother lingo. They're called floaters when you know, like either by accident or by purpose, their gameplay basically just involves not aligning themselves and not really doing anything. And somewhat geniusly, I I, I think geniusly, I don't think that's a word. Um, he sort of talk to her right at a moment when she sort of wanted to start playing and yeah. you know his 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 pitch to her was very addictive it was very much like you and me we're going to go all the way this is a power move i mean he was he was saying all the right things to her i i think
1: right i mean i think that Jen had lost an ally and now she realized that she needed to step up it was great timing because you're you're absolutely right she was in the market for allies she was on the market for a strategy that would that, that, that would uh, advance her in the game. She w- realized she needed to step up and be aggressive. And so Dan created a role for her that benefited him. And the third thing he had to do was make sure that Danielle didn't freak out. Like he had to go over to her and explain to her, this is what I did. Yes, I threw you under the bus. It's all part of a ruse. Don't hold it against me. And she didn't, and everything went exactly according to plan, and no one was more surprised than Dan. And it was like this amazing thing that you rarely see that you oftentimes don't even buy in fiction, whereby the evil genius... Will will hatch this elaborate plan that is ultimately dependent on anticipating the moves of people down the road and making sure that they actually do it. And if it happened in fiction, Darren, we would all say, "Oh, that's so contrived!" Like, like it's like, how lucky did he get? Like, he executed this, ma- he concocted this master plan, and everyone had to, did exactly as anticipated. I'm like. When does that really
0: happen? It happens on this show. Well, and and it's it, it, it's actually very funny that that you mentioned that, Jeff. Uh, you know, uh, right around I think maybe like either a week before or a week after this episode aired, this this sort of crazy funeral scheme of Dan's. Um, the the other big summer TV show, which shares nothing with Big Brother besides initials, Breaking Bad, aired its sh- its episode where Walter White sort of had his big scheme, which you know you'll you'll recall involved him going. To meet with, I think it was the Phoenix guys. He also gave a big speech. It was very dependent on several variables, and you know, I, I sort of remember thinking, like, I mean, this, this is, this is, uh, you know, a, a similar, you know, harebrained scheme that does involve so many different moving parts. And I, and it was funny seeing that a lot of people sort of criticized like that moment in Breaking Bad as, oh, this is a little bit too out there, and it was kind of like, I mean, sometimes a crazy plan does come together, and I, I, I think that, and. The, The funny thing was that as sort of brilliantly as that funeral scheme worked out, that was really just the beginning of Dan's sort of tear through the household. I mean, it's I mean, and, and, you know, uh, I want to say that the reason why I, I think he proved so compelling is that, you know. In, uh, I, I think in in a, a well constructed reality show, there are fundamentally two ways to to win, or or at least to have some success. One is to play very well in the competitions. And, you know, there there are always all these players in in Big Brother who can just really deliver, you know, there there are major competitions each week. Some of them involve, you know, getting power. Some of them involve the power to to take people off the block. Dan decided that he was going to go the other route, which was basically to just play an incredible social game, which meant that even though he rarely, if ever, won a competition, it didn't really matter, because whoever ever won, he had himself covered, and I I just think that watching the way that he played that out was so interesting. Um, What made it even better, though, to sort of circle back around to what you were saying earlier, was that his relationship with Danielle essentially stayed exactly, you, you know, like followed that same cycle each week, and it always kind of came down to after he had sort of done something terrible to her, he would say, I'm doing this for us, or, later on, he would say, I'm doing this for you. At the start of the season, he'd been uh, in the house as her coach. That was initially uh, what the twist was with this season. He was a returning player, coaching players. Then he joined the game. But he would always say, you know, Danielle, there's no way that I can win. People don't like me. I just want to get us to the final two so then you can win. And in, in a very interesting twist, um, Dalton Ross, uh, our, our our beloved colleague, just talked to... Dan uh, on the Inside TV podcast, and Dan told Dalton that if it had been up to him, he would not have brought Danielle to the final two with him. Oh, wow. I mean, so it's really just, um, you know, there's no getting around the fact that Dan very much decided to play, shall we say, a a, a villainous role in this season. So it's it's, it's maybe not surprising that he didn't wind up winning, but I, I just think that, the sheer level of gameplay that he was operating at was remarkable, and it, it, it almost makes me wonder if you know if this this format of people who you specifically got out of the house then decide whether you win or not needs to be reconsidered. I, I don't know, what, um, but what do you think though, Jeff? Because I mean, you know, we're talking so much about Dan because he is he did. I mean, he he was fun to watch, frankly, but Ian played a very good game too, and people didn't hate his guts. So maybe. Maybe there's something worthwhile there, too.
1: Well, look, I think that, like, um, Dan Dan played from behind um, a, a little bit. I mean, he, he he never got really in the Ian spot, it seemed to me, whereby he, he, he looked like he was doomed. Although, I think there were a couple times where Ian felt like he was goners. But, I mean... Uh, the thing about Dan's game is that it's very flashy. It's easy, it's easy and fun to talk about. I mean, Dan's funeral, what a great maneuver. And um, through his strategy was basically that he, he basically went to all of these players who really considered themselves weak in some way, um, Danielle, or, or, or to players in their, he went to players in their moment of weakness. So Danielle, I don't think that Danielle ever considered herself a strong player. So she was, she was really latched on to Dan. Shane was one of the most interesting busts in the whole house, a guy that kept on being uh, talked up as a threat, um, a physical threat, um, in sort of the more physically-based challenges. But I, I felt like Shane was too nice of a guy yep. and too willing to be led around. And Dan saw that and saw that weakness in him. So he kind of like um, brought him into the fold. And, and same thing with Ian. There's always this kind of – Ian is a very cunning guy and, 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 and revealed himself to be very, very smart. Um, but he latched on to strong players, too. And so Dan kind of like brought together all of these people and formed an alliance with the promise of, like, I have the smarts to get us all to the end if you just trust me. And all of these people who were either kind of weak personalities or, or who we came to in moments of weakness, like Frank, like Jen, bought into it. You know, and and, and that's an, a, an amazing strategy that worked really well for him, but also engendered a lot of enemies. Um, Ian, though, was a really impressive figure in his own right, and I, I think that he played the best all-around game. He won challenges when he needed to win challenges. He played a very great social game, the, the, the social game of... I am gonna latch onto a power player and have him take me far into the game is a good strategy, that is a strategy. It rarely wins you, a, it sometimes has won people like, uh, like these kinds of reality shows, and it's not necessarily the most admired strategy. But he, he played all the tactics very, very well. He won when he needed to win. Dan never really did not win as much as Ian. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, he kind of like formed alliances and he followed when he needed to follow and he led when he needed to lead and he manipulated when he needed to manipulate. As much as we brag on Dan's uh, funeral, um, Ian's assassination of Mike Boogie was also one of the great maneuvers of the season, and, and is worthy of praise. Even though I kind of forget it now. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, well, and you know, I, I think that something else that, that you're putting out that I hadn't even really thought of is that I think Ian played um, a very evolutionary, very sort of like variable game, in, in a lot of ways, you know, like I think that he was really able to change direction when he had to. He was allied with one power player, Mike Boogie, who who pre- Previously had been sort of the Satan in the house, although I think it's fair to say that Dan sort of sort of sort of took over that uh, that role from him. Ian could sort of like you know he could he, he could shift on a dime. I, I think he was very he seemed he seemed the most cognizant of how each week you could sort of shift your game a little bit. Whereas I, I do think that Dan, I mean, he he more or less said that like he decided early on that he couldn't win on likability or competitions, which is a pretty remarkable thing to say. I mean, it was sort of like you know it was sort of his like. Richard the Third moment, like, well, I was I was a hunchback who nobody liked. So what what else can I do but lurk in the shadows and backstab everybody? But what, um, what I
1: like about Dan's game is ultimately, uh, I, I think he realized even in the in, in in the last episode last night when he was making his appeals to the house, he knew that he had earned all of their enmity, and <laughs> and he but he didn't brag on that. He didn't try to do the thing where it's like. And that's why you should vote for me, you know, because, like, you know, it it, it didn't work anyway, that appeal. But it was almost like I kind of wondered if – and I want to read Dalton's interview, but I would love to know if at some point, even at the height of his, like, great run, if he knew – the best I can ever get in this house now is number two.
0: Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm.
1: Um, and the best chance that I, I'm, I'm not going to – I'm definitely not going to win up against Danielle. That's an interesting revelation but makes so much sense. Like he was going to throw her under the bus mm-hmm. because, I mean, at least Ian had, the, had, the, um, had, had, had the, the guts to actually explain that to Danielle. I mean, Ian told Danielle flat out before Danielle was, was booted out. I'm not going to take you to the final two because I won't win. And... Um, at least he was honest about that yeah you know?
0: well, well and and like i i think that is i mean ultimately i think what made last night's finale so exciting just you know kind of on on the level of of metaphor which i think that great reality tv shows operate on to the same extent that great science fiction or fantasy operates on is that it really felt like you were you were looking at ian a guy who fundamentally tried to play a, 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 an ethical game i mean big brother it, you know it, it is it is all about lying and sort of cheating with someone at, to a certain extent, but he very much tried to be as open as possible. And you know, Dan played the exact opposite game. I mean, it, it really felt like you were looking at you know superhero here, supervillain here. I mean, who who are you going to vote for in the end? <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But um, yeah.
1: I mean, it was it was a fascinating end. And I think you know, at the end, what the, the final vote was five to
0: one, right? Six to one, yeah. And it was
1: really seven zero. It was really seven zero because. The vote that Danielle, in one of the most poignant, heartbreaking, kind of sad moments of, of the night is even until the very end, Danielle, despite being you know, used and abused and betrayed and, and ultimately kicked out by these two guys, Dan more, more than anything, but then Ian, um, she voted for Dan but the, the 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 knife she stuck into Dan was the only reason why I'm doing this. Is it was basically pride. Mm-hmm. You know, her big thing to Dan was like, you know, I, I I I get your strategy, but you're always lying to me. You're always putting me through the emotional ring, ringer. You're always letting me believe that you are going to betray me, and. This by voting for you, I'm opposing that value, and I'm I'm remaining true to myself, as if she's like proving something to, to 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 him. So in a way, I kind of felt like she was really voting against him, even as she was voting for him. Oh, you know? that's,
0: that's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, like, it, was, it was almost like she was sort of like uh, trying to eke out a moral victory in, right. in, 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 in the face of Dan's sort of relentless immorality. Th- th- that's and interesting, I, Jeff. Yeah, th-
1: yeah, I mean, like, the thing that you, the, the question that you kind of opened up here, which is, like, like you know, I, I think that there's this feeling that the question that you're raising is, is that, is it unfair... For those players, those players did not vote for Dan because they wanted to punish Dan. You know, they all felt burned. They all felt betrayed. They didn't like him. And what, and, and I think one of the implications of your question is it's kind of ridiculous. It's kind of not fair because if they're going to be the jury, you, you would think that they should distinguish between their personal feelings And gameplay. And that was Dan's agenda, even though he wasn't overt, he was rather polite about it. But that's what he kept on trying to get them to consider in the most respectful way possible. I played the game. I played the only game that was available to me, and I'm sitting here now. Mm -hmm. Um, And he considered it a more impressive game um, in a way that I don't always agree with because it seems to me that these kinds of players and these kinds of fans of these players want to denigrate or, um, or, or, or not be as – they're not as impressed by actually winning the gameplay challenges in the game. And I, I, like, no, I was like, no, that, that, that's, that is part of the game. You've got to win. Mm-hmm. Um, you should win, and that's what's impressive. That's why I think Frank – is going to come back, don't you think? That They're going to bring Frank back in future seasons of Big Brother. He's going to be the next Mike Boogie recurring character, the next Dan recurring character, the next Janelle retur- recurring character. Because he was so amazingly dominant, we hadn't seen a uh, a dominant competitor in the formal challenges of Big Brother since Janelle. I mean, he was extraordinary, and you're, they're totally bringing him back. Don't
0: you think? You're you're absolutely right. I mean, Frank. Uh, you know, I, I I I try not to like you know delve into this too much because you know it's so sort of intangible. But I I got the vibe that CBS was certainly trying to build a narrative around Frank this season. They certainly had a lot of material. He was constantly under Assault, and he constantly delivered in competitions. What intrigues me about Frank is that, and and again, this this sort of you know this really d- gets into the Dan question again. Frank was so good in competitions. I think he was utterly incompetent when it came to strategy, though. I oh, mean, like, totally. and and, 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 and it, it, it,
1: it, you needed to cut bait with boogie. I mean, much. I mean, talk about a guy who takes it way too personally. I mean, like, <laughs> he was so dominant. But his entire Big Brother narrative was largely defined by this friendship he developed with Boogie and then the betrayal that he felt by Boogie, Boogie's ouster. He, and that he, kind of animated everything that he did. And he woke up too late to the possibility of he should have he should have made that deal with Dan a long time yep, earlier. Yep. They should, he, If he was smart. Are you still there? Yes. Yes. If, if, if he was smart. He should have. Uh, he and Dan possibly, but not. Um, but, but especially Frank should have uh, uh, awakened to the possibility of forming some secret alliance, but playing out um, a, a rivalry publicly in the House. He should have come up with that strategy. Much sooner,
0: absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like uh, y- you know, I I think that if there's anybody from this season who's new who definitely will be brought back in future seasons, it's it- it's got to be Frank. He just had this real sort of juggernaut like edge to him. But I-, I think what what I enjoyed about him most is that you know he had such a martyrdom complex, and, and just you-, you know whenever you saw him after he was uh, expelled from the house, you know if if you're if you're the last seven people expelled from the house, you go away to this sort of beautiful Beautiful mansion called the Jury House, where you just sort of sit around and consider all of your life's mistakes for weeks and weeks, and it, it, it just seemed like he felt so betrayed by everyone for constantly coming after him. I mean, you realize, Jeff, the most interesting thing about Big Brother to me is the fact that these people seem to have nothing to do besides just sort of interact with each other, and just what a what a like mentally damaging experience it must be <laughs> for you know someone like. Dan Danielle, or Frank to spend weeks and weeks with people, put your trust in them, hope, you know, just, like, hope, hope on, on the basis of nothing but hope that you can trust them, and then to, and then to have them betray you. I mean, it really you, 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 can, you can understand why their emotions sort of run so high in there. I mean, after, after a few weeks, they, they, they must go stir-crazy.
1: Right. And that's why I do agree, uh, agree something of your point, which is, I do think that Dan was a little bit unfairly penalized um, um, because you know, I do think it's incumbent on these players, and the and and well, I, I I I'm torn. Like, I do want the ju- the the jury to sort of like say, hey, you know what, Dan played a great game. He did what he did. I'm not going to hold it against him. At the same time, feelings are part of the game,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um, if, I don't, I don't know if I if Dan is complaining about this, but. Like if you played a game that engendered that kind of ill will, that's part of the game too, and yep. that was a bad strategy. Yep, yep. And it got it got you to number two, but if it's not, but it, but wasn't good enough to get you to number one, and ultimately it's on Dan for uh, for, for for not executing a better version of any possible strategy um, that could have gotten him. Um, to the end, but not engender such ill will that that that, that they weren't going to vote for him. You know,
0: absolutely, Jeff. Uh, I I'd, I'd love to keep talking with this. I'd love to share with you my theory that the Dan Ian showdown was a reenactment of the Hillary Clinton versus Barack Obama showdown in two thousand eight. Okay. Unfortunately, we are running low on time, and I do want to move along to our last topic of the day, uh, Jeff. Uh, we've we've discussed it before a little bit on the show, but I I do want to do a, a little deep dive, so to speak. No pun intended. In Into the premiere of Last Resort. It's currently uh, online at Yahoo. It's going to air, I think, next week or the week after on Um, actual television. If you're an old fashioned TV watcher. Um, Jeff,
1: it's it's, it's premiering um, September 27th, September 27th. (laughs) Thursday. So,
0: Thursday. so this this coming Thursday, um, Jeff, uh, I've gone on the record as saying that I, I really do enjoy the premiere, if only because it's the most hyperactive, character-packed, nuclear bomb launching. I think there's three total in, in the premiere that that are launched, although I'm not going to spoil for you ha- how many of them actually go off. Uh, it's It certainly is a compelling premiere. Jeff, I, I, I think the question on, on everyone's mind is, how can they possibly possibly sustain this as a TV show. What were your feelings, though, after you finished off that, that pilot episode?
1: Well, it did, I, I had the same reaction, too. And then I was reminded, this is exactly my reaction to Lost. Um, I, I remember watching that two-hour pilot of Lost and thinking, uh, I don't know, what what is the show? Yeah, I, I see the season. What's the series? Um, and uh, And... That ultimately proved to be a really compelling reason to watch. Um, and, and the Marvel of Lost was that for a long time they managed to keep that where is it going to go next question interesting. With Last Resort, it definitely begs that same question. And I, I, I want to, and, and, and I don't know, to be frank, um, and not Frank from Big Brother. Uh, <laughs> But but I, I don't know. like At least with Lost, they opened up so many dimensions of the show. I mean, it was, it was both this, this sort of gritty drama about how are these people going to survive on this um, uh, island. And so you know that that was going to spawn a lot of stories. Um, there is implicit in the pilot, but not really kind of made manifest until subsequent episodes where we got the flashbacks. But implicit in the pilot was, who are these people? we got to get to know them. So you know that you were going to get those stories. But you also had the supernatural element. So who knew where that was going to lead, you know, i.e. the smoke monster, but you knew that there was story there. The Last Resort does itself a lot of favors in that sort of like climactic montage where it basically, um, there at the, at the end of the, at the end of the pilot of, of Last Resort, um, there's this kind of like, you know, montage of scenes where you realize it kind of shows you where it's going to go mm-hmm. from here. You know, there's going to be building the culture of this new civilization on this island by these American submarine soldiers after they've been framed for disobeying orders um, to start a war with Pakistan. But then there's the locals that live on the island, and they're they're kind of like a they have their own vision about how they want to live, and they're not going to take kindly to sort of being occupied all of a sudden mm-hmm. um, by, by by these Americans. And then you have this sort of like, What right now is the least compelling part of the show, um, but needs to become one of the best parts of the show, is the off-island story involving um, Bruce Davidson's character, the, uh, the, the Admiral, and the conspiracy that is obviously being kind of like driven, uh, you know, somewhere, either within the United States or by some foreign power to start this international incident um, facilitating a conflict between the United States and um, and, and Pakistan, and then um, and then you have the the stuff with the seals, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Which is like you know you know as the show begins, the pilot begins, the submarine is picking up a team of of Navy SEALs that have executed a secret mission, which apparently they think went successful, but by the end they realize not only was it un- was unsuccessful, but was part of this. Elaborate conspiracy that is now unfolding.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I, mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean like, like a uh, part of the fun of the seal thing is that it, it it it's the subplot that starts the episode off with the seals getting picked up, and then you almost kind of forget about them in the intervening hour, and then just at the end, there, there's a couple of little teases about that where you're like, oh, I see. That was that was maybe one of the main instigating factors for what's happening in this whole entire show.
1: I mean, the the, the one thing about the show that. I, I, that, that, that's interesting, but, but limits either the show or maybe our imagination of the show. And this is where I wonder if the show will zig where we think it's going to zag is that, you know, the premise of the show, a submarine of American soldiers, like, um, like end up starting their own country, their own republic on this uh, remote um, uh, tropical island that's also a NATO um, surveillance station. Um, you know, after they seem to be caught up in a conspiracy to start a war with Pakistan, am I characterizing this correctly? So yes, far? yes,
0: that's that's all correct. All right. That's that's so, that's probably uh, the simplest way of explaining the show.
1: Yes, so that pitch would seem to imply a series that is set largely on this island, following the Andre Brower and Scott Speedman characters as they sort of lead this new. N- n- a new new culture, this new republic, and as they kind of like uh have conflict with 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 the indigenous peoples, the locals, um so you have a nice, interesting provocative metaphor there, but it's going to be the ongoing going story of essentially nation building right mm-hmm. but th- so and, and so we think that, and we kind of go well that that could be interesting, but for how long, really, right mm-hmm. the only thing I could think of at this point is. And what would be surprising and what would be fun is that if that is ultimately not the show at all, like it's, 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 you know, maybe by the end of the season, they have to go on the run. And so they're not on this Island anymore and they have to go somewhere else. Um, I got to think that that's got to be part of the, of, of, of the possibilities within this show, stay on the Island and milk that promise premise for as long as possible. But at some point, Th- they're they're gonna have to leave, and and maybe we take last resort a little too literally in this contest. Uh, contest. I
0: contest. mean, it's it, it, it's interesting, yeah. Like it, it's sort of the question of you know, will will will, will it adopt the prison break model, or uh, you know, the or it could also be the twenty four model of maybe next season will be completely different and will be sort of you know, same group of characters in, in, in a different mindset. Yeah, you know, I I think that y- you've characterized it very well. I I, I do think that much like with revolution. I, I find that having having now watched uh, the premiere of Last Resort three or four times, uh, I, I I feel like I'm so much more excited about the sort of foundation for it and for the characters and this this aspect of it where there's a conspiracy. I find myself a little bit less interested. I mean, it almost seems to me like like the show could very well milk this idea of building a nation for a very long time. And you know, the, I, I I just this this whole idea of, is it going to be Lord of the Flies? Is it going to be Heart of Darkness? Is it going to be, you know, what what is the ideal nation for them to build? And, you know, they're, they're in the military. Is it going to look totalitarian? All, all that stuff seems like it could be interesting. The second that it's it, it, it's so funny, because in the premiere, the second that it cuts away from the submarine crew and goes back to Washington, D.C., suddenly you're introduced to Autumn Reeser as a sexy weapons lobbyist who, you know, loves talking about heavy artillery while she's making out in a, very PG-13, in a very PG-13 way. And just that that side of the show, I, I, I sort of wonder how long that is sustainable. But I, I will say... Uh, you know,
1: yeah, can, can, we talk, can we stop right there? Can we talk about that scene? Yeah. Because that, this show had me very early on, and I just love how, like, um, it just starts and goes. And it sucks you in very quickly and very easily into um, its premise, into its world of the submarine. Um, Andre Brower and Scott Speedman are fantastic in their roles. I mean, they're such engaging Personalities and, and good actors, and you're 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 immediately part of that crew, and you want to follow them. Yeah, well,
0: and and you meet like twenty members of the crew right off the bat, and they they all seem right. kind of fun. I mean, you know, Robert Patrick is there, and I mean, yeah, right. a, a, a lot of you know, sort of you know, interesting faces right away.
1: And the SEAL team kind of like 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 plot is immediately intriguing, and then they cut to Washington, and this, I mean. When you're experiencing the, the the story for the first time and you're watching it kind of unfold, it just feels. So you cut to Washington and this sexy arms dealer lobbyist, arms manufacturer lobbyist, like, like that whole thing. It was. It, it literally felt to me like. Some network executive gave Sean Ryan a note that basically said, is there any way we can get some sex in this right away? I mean, like, like, it, it felt like the result of a note by a nervous executive to get, like, like we got to get out of this submarine, and we got to make this more sexy. Well, and, Come and, on. Well,
0: well, and, and it, it's even better because what she says is literally just exposition about the submarine we just right. cut away from. Like you know, we've been in this sort of really exciting. You know, like I, I think I, I think it's like the first ten to fifteen minutes of the episode is just like you're really thrown in in media res. You you know, you get the sense of all the characters on the fly. Suddenly, yeah, cut to sexy single female lobbyist's apartment, and she says. That submarine we just saw has x x x y strips down to underwear. Now let's make. I mean, it's, it's it 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 does feel it feels very over the top. I I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing, but it does. Right,
1: but I just it, it's one of the few missteps in the pilot. Yeah. I mean, it, it, she could be a really interesting character. That actress could be actually compelling, but it sets the wrong tone for th- this side of uh, of the story, which I think is could be really intriguing and definitely needs to work. Um, we, 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 kinda, we definitely need some story that, that, that could tell us what's going on in this world, and we also need characters that, that help us care even more for the predicament of the soldiers on that island. So mm-hmm. you need the Scott Speedman wife, so that we care about Scott Speedman and 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 his character being sort of isolated and alone, and know what he's playing for and what his motivations are, and and have that emotionality. Because this Absolutely. is a show that, that on the surface of it, the premise seems to have no emotion in it. So clearly, the pilot is working very hard to say no. That the show def- definitely has some heart, some emotional deep stuff in it.
0: Jeff Jeff uh, I I have, I have to ask you you keep on referring to to uh the person playing the the the, the sexy female lobbyist as that actress can I assume that you don't know Autumn Reeser from her spectacular role as Taylor Townsend on the last 2 seasons of the OC
1: uh that would be correct <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to one of my blind spots. <laughs> it, is, it is her, that girl. So, so let me get. So, give me a name, so I'm I'm not objective. I find her as a her anymore. Oh right? no no no,
0: it's it's, it's fine. Uh, uh, her name is Autumn Reeser. Uh, I only know her because uh, this is embarrassing to say. She's she's my long time pop culture crush. Uh, yeah. Autumn, if you're out there listening to this geeky podcast, then uh, hello. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, she she was also in No Ordinary Family. For, now, uh, from what I've heard. The long term plan, or hopefully the short term plan. Oh, wait, is... wait, wait,
1: wait, rewind. Autumn sir She was in no ordinary family. Was she? Was she like the lab assistant that yes. worked? Oh, okay. I like her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like that show, and I like her character. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I certainly like her. That that storyline is genius now. <laughs>
0: More, more lobbyist, more lobbyist. Um, well, but yeah. You
1: know what I mean. That, 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 that I, whole wing of the show. Let's not pick on her specifically.
0: No, that that whole wing just just j- just doesn't work. To the extent that, yeah, it, it almost seems like the original conception of the show may have been let's focus just on the island. And somewhere along the way, someone was like, Uh yeah, can we can we get a little, uh, you know, can we get something else in here? Yeah, it, it 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 sticks out kind of like a sore thumb, and it'll be
1: of it in the pilot is awkward I think it, 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 it can and I and I hope it will be interesting it should be um, I think it's necessary to this show um, and and I, I like Bruce Davidson I like that actor um, and so I the, the pieces are there the way they're introduced in the pilot wasn't a big fan of it has to be interesting and I think my, my, my big theory about the show Darren to, to, to cut to this although we have much more to talk about about this show big my theory, big theory alert. About the show
0: is, Oh, sorry, S- sorry. That was our Big Theory Alert theme song. Big Theory oh, Alert, doo ba doo Go for it, Jeff.
1: <laughs> My big theory about the show is that clearly there, 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 uh, there needs people need to come to this island. Mm-hmm. So, um, like at some point, I, I suspect that Bruce Davison and um, and, and Autumn Reeser. Yes. Did I get the name right? Yes. And, and 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 Scott's wife, who's actress TK, named TK, to learn, uh, <laughs> uh, like will 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 execute some plan whereby they can't get their, their 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 true loves off the island, so they are going to go to them. You know that 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 needs to happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: It's going to be like an immigrant saga.
0: Ah finally just what america has been waiting for an immigrant saga involving nuclear submarines jeff uh, just uh, j- just going to wrap this up on a scale of lost to the event where would you put this premiere uh for f- for last resort
1: well uh definitely uh leaning toward lost and away from f- from from the event although you know, one of my least favorite things to do in our business is prognosticating success based on a pilot. So the event, I really like the pilot for the event. Um, <laughs> like, and 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 there's just a um, a classic example of um, a show that kind of lets you down. Um, and, and, and goes nowhere kind of fast and isn't as nearly as interesting as, as you think it could be or, or will be. So um, the show has the, this show has the actors, it has Sean Ryan, the creator of The Shield, um, and, uh, and, 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 and Terriers, and he's a great TV writer. Um, I'm really excited to see him cut loose um, with the kinds of things that he writes about, and the kinds of themes that interest him in, in this world. You just you just never know. I think we talked about this last week. I feel like the real weakness of the show is that it needs. You mentioned it has this huge cast of characters on that boat, and um, and it does have Robert Robert Patrick, but it needs one of these guys and one of these people to break out in a Absolutely, big way.
0: absolutely. Um, it it it, it, I, it I needs its John Locke this, okay. or or it, yep.
1: I I just kind of worry that um i i worry that they won't be able to do that i'll just yeah. be playing about it like watching that pilot there was nothing that really led me to believe that we have some really interesting supporting characters played by really promising, awesome actors that can make them pop. Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. I have my doubts.
0: Yep. That being said, we can all agree that uh, we we would happily watch an hour of television that was just Robert Patrick in a prison cell sort of looking grim. I I would be on board for that episode if they ever get around to
1: it. It needs, needs, and this is my big thing, it, it really needs a great, cool trailer cut from some really great footage Set to the Black Keys, "Little Black Submarines <laughs> here, let, me, let me give you a little, little black submarines right here. Yes, I've had this queued up for the past hour, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, waiting for this moment, the <laughs> black submarines for that gag. Wow, that was awesome over the phone too. How's that sound quality for you? It here? was. It was,
0: uh, it was. It was so good, uh, listeners. If anyone out there wants to wants to cut that video together, put it on YouTube, and send us a link, we'll give you a very special. Uh, I don't know, Jeff. We'll give you a T-shirt of of of, of some sort. I'll or- go
1: out and make a T-shirt for somebody. But literally, like little black submarines. There needs to be a rockin' last resort trailer set to the Black Keys, Little Black Summer.
0: Get on it, ABC.
1: Maybe there is one, and I just don't know about it yet, but that needs to happen.
0: Well, I know what I'm doing with the rest of my afternoon, uh, probably looking for that uh, video. Anyhow, uh, Jeff, uh, we, as usual, we've, we've gone way over time. We've gone wonderfully over time, but uh, we need to wrap it up now. I want to thank all of our listeners for listening to this. Uh, if you've seen Last Resort, let us know what you think. If you watched Big Brother, definitely be sure to check out our sister podcast. Sister podcast? Sibling podcast. The Inside TV podcast where Dalton Ross talks to the final three in this season. And let us know which video games you're excited about and which sequels you never want to play, ever. Uh, as always, I'm Darren Franich. I'm Jeff Jensen. Thanks for listening, everyone.